0: Leviticus 15, starting in verse 25. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. Every bed in which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, And whatever she sits on shall be unclean, as the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches these things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes, and bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, then she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take for herself two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, and bring them to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, then the priest shall offer the one as a sin offering, and the other as a burnt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for the discharge of her uncleanness. Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. This is the law for the one who has a discharge, and for him who omits semen and is unclean thereby, and for her who is indisposed because of her customary impurity, and for the one who has a discharge, either male, man or woman, and for him who lies with her who is unclean. Heavenly Father, pray today that you would cause us to examine ourselves through this text, that you would use it as a mirror for us so that we can see how you see us. We also thank you that you give us a picture of the fact that there is cleansing from sin. We do pray that you would cleanse us, that you would cleanse your body.
1: So as we continue to consider this passage on cleanness, and specifically related to sexuality, I think it's worth noting the structure of the chapter. Because the chapter uses a literary device called a chiasmus. A chiasmus is where you present two connected things, and then you present them again, but the second time you present them in reverse order. The normal way to express emphasis in Hebrew is to repeat the same thing using different words. Even as we were reading, or as Noel read Psalm 79 this morning, it does the same thing. It it repeats things to give emphasis to it. So like this happens all the time in Proverbs, such as in Proverbs 10.4. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. That would be a very normal way to do emphasis, in English and in in Hebrew. But to take the same idea and make it a chiasmus, it would be the poor have a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So that you flip the order of them. And the reason you do that is because it draws attention to it. It makes it more obvious since it's not the normal structure, since it's not normally how you, how you think about it, it ends up making it also feel like a more complete argument, that both sides were considered because both of them were presented first. <coughs> and so when we look at this chapter, the structure of this chapter is, it starts with the STDs of a man, and then it goes to what's normal in a man, then it goes to what's normal in a woman, and then it goes back into the passage this morning about STDs in a woman. And so by structuring the commandments in this way, it's connecting and emphasizing that the sexual things are earthly and sensual. They make you unclean. But there is a difference between that and sexually transmitted diseases, which require the shedding of blood to make clean. But it's connecting the two and at the same time, it's saying this gives you a complete picture of being unclean. You know, Paul expresses the same idea in 1 Corinthians 7 7 through 9. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to, to burn with passion. And so it's better to not be overcome by the sensual things. But if you are, if that's not a gift that God has given you, if you don't have that level of self-control, because not everybody has the gift of being a eunuch, then marriage is acceptable and not sin. But it's still, it's better to just be spiritual. And so it's easy for us to, to think of what Paul's saying there. And that's the same thing, basically, that it's saying in Leviticus 15, is that, yes, there's an emission of semen when you lay with your wife, that that's not inherently bad, but it's better if you just focused on God, but that's not given to all men to do. But in heaven, it won't be like that. In heaven, there won't be that contrast. When there's a new heaven and a new earth, there will be no marriage. There will be none of those things that, that tie these things together because then everybody will be perfectly clean. So it's not sin, but it is earthly. It is sensual. So remember that all these commandments are about the priest distinguishing between clean and unclean between holy and unholy so god is expressing this in a chiasmus rather than in a typical order right the normal order would be normal male sexuality male sexual wickedness normal female sexuality female sexual wickedness but by flipping the first one it connects the two together and it makes it so that we can understand how no one can see god and live because the the std that's a this picture of sin and this picture of fornication and adultery that that is still tied to laying with a woman and so we're earthly fallen we still need to be cleansed we still need to be changed we have a sin nature but we also sin and that sin needs to be atoned for through the shedding of blood so this is about recognizing the whole range of what separates us from god which is emphasized in verse 31 because it's about god's tabernacle being in the midst of them this you can't be unclean and be tabernacling with god our sin nature separates us from god we must be born again to be able to be in the presence of god but our sins also must be atoned for for us to be clean with that, verses 25 through 27. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her iniqui- impurity. And whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days. So the previous church again was about the normal functioning of a woman's body. At least until menopause when she can no longer have children, if she's not pregnant, then there's a monthly flow of blood, which God says makes her unclean. And whatever she lays on or sits on, that becomes unclean. And that uncleanness transfers to anyone who touches her or touches the bed or touches the chair. Or if there's something that's put down on it, that that the uncleanness, that fleshliness, that that earthliness, that that goes and that has an effect and that that has an effect through the world and it does negatively affect others just us having a sin nature it's just us having a focus on earthly things that has a negative effect on others but now we come to the discharge of blood for many days when a woman has a discharge of blood that's not related to her monthly cycle for a period of time the most often cause of it is sexually transmitted diseases, just like the discharge for the man. This is a picture of sexually transmitted diseases. And so, while the other uncleanness, being earthy, we have to be changed from it, we have to be translated, we have to become different in order to truly be in the presence of God. This is sin. Blood needs to be shed for it. This is, it has to be forgiven. So, this is a picture of sin. We all need to be. Our nature needs to be changed because we have a sin nature, but our sin needs to be atoned for because we sin. And So this is symbolizing the sacrifice that's really required, the sacrifice of Christ that's really required for your sins to be forgiven. But in this case, they had to sacrifice two birds to make it recognize that sins have to be paid for blood has to be shed the wages of sin is death death is required in order for those wages to be paid that's how serious our sin is and so the flow of blood outside of the customary impurity other than at the time of customary impurity that is this picture of fornication this picture of sexual activity outside of the bounds of marriage because if all sexual activity was inside the bounds of marriage, there'd be no STDs. It's because they're not. So it's this picture of sin. So the normal flow of blood still makes you unclean, but the sacrifices are only required when it's at a different time, when it's not the monthly cycle, when it's signifying the, the effects of sin, the wages of sin, rather than just being earthy, rather than just being in flesh rather than being in spirit so or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity the flow bud might also just continue with the menstrual period where it goes on for more than seven days so the stress is that the other is still impurity it still makes you unclean it's still this this sign of being earthy the sign of being of the earth rather than of heavenly things but when it goes on for more than 7 days the stress is it's it's beyond just that impurity it's a different kind of uncleanness it's an uncleanness that requires a sacrifice but again it's very connected between the two we shouldn't think that the the sin nature and our sin are unconnected they're very connected and so when we think about this, we should be thinking about this as a sign of sexually transmitted disease, which at least makes us read the passage in Luke, or at least it made me read the passage in Luke different. The passage about the woman with the flow of blood for 12 years. In Luke 8, 43 through 48, it says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped, and Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Since everybody would have known that this is a sign of sexual promiscuity. And all of a sudden she's making it very open. So she's, you can see why she would, you know, she would want to hide. You can see why she would not openly ask Jesus to heal her. The lepers had no problem with saying, Jesus, show mercy on me. But this woman has a problem saying, Jesus, show mercy on me. She sneaks up behind him and touches his garment. And Jesus makes her confess. That's what Jesus does. He says, who's the one? Did he know who the one was? Of course he knew who the one was. This wasn't about him finding out who touched him and caused power to go out from him. He knew exactly who it was. This is about him requiring confession. Him requiring her to say, I've had this situation, this this infirmity for 12 years. So when we think about confession, we should recognize in sacrificing the birds, there's a confession. When you go and you're the man that has the discharge and you go and kill the two birds, you're making it publicly known. And of course, this is representing sin. In that case, there could be something else. Some other conditions that cause it. But the normal condition that caused it is STDs. And so Jesus is saying to this woman, "You have." To, he's making her confess it. So she comes trembling. She comes and falling down before him. And then she says, in the presence of all the people, why she touched him. Because she had the sign of, of fornication. That's why she touched him. so christ says you confessed daughter be a good cheer your faith has made you well go in peace this is the picture i confess your sins and he is just and faithful to forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness this is the picture of that's in this this passage So all the days of her unclean discharge, all the days of the unusual flow of blood, she's unclean. Because the discharge makes her unclean. (coughs) It's really her sin that makes her unclean, but the discharge is a picture of the result of sin. And so it shall be as the days of her customary impurity. The uncleanness is not categorically different than the uncleanness that comes from the monthly cycle. It's not categorically different from our sin nature the sin that we do but the sin that we do needs atonement we need to be changed and our sin needs to be atoned for she's unclean in the same way she shall be unclean the same rules apply for the uncleanness whether it's because of fornication or whether it's because of just her nature is earthy she's still unclean every bed on which she lies her uncleanness is still contagious. The uncleanness that comes from her sin nature, the uncleanness that comes from her sin, when it manifests itself as sin, it just defiles, it still defiles. Whenever she's at rest, her sin still has effects and consequences. All the days of her discharge, the unusual discharge is not the, sin of fornic- is not the sin of fornication, it's the picture of the effects of sin, of the sin of fornication. Those effects continue well beyond the sin. All the days of those effects, she defiles others because of the consequences of her sin. So all the days her discharge shall be as to her as the bed of her impurity, to be treated no differently than during her menstrual cycle. Both are defiling. We would think that the defiling for the actual sin would be more easily spread than what comes from just the natural man, just comes from walking in the flesh. But obviously, and obviously, there are cases that that's true. The angry man who gets a mob angry and causes the mob to, you know, to to respond in that anger, his sin is different. He is spreading it in a different way. But the emphasis on this passage is, it's not spread in a different way. It's spread because we're earthly. It's spread because of our nature. It's spread because we don't have the the. We don't have the resistance and the, the zeal to resist sin that we should have. And so the, the woman whose sin spreads because of her, her fornication is not that much different than the woman whose sin spreads just because she's walking in the flesh. Just because she's fleshly. So whatever she sits on shall be unclean because anything she sits on becomes unclean. Yeah, and I said this last week, to prevent uncleanness, you'd have to reorder your whole household, different seats, different beds. The monthly cycle, everyone would expect, you know, everyone would expect it, but, but now all of a sudden, if you don't have that flow of blood, you know, think about it. Most people in our society, not here, but most people in our society, when they get pregnant, they don't, they don't announce it for the first trimester. In Israel, it would be announced immediately because there's the customary monthly cycle and all of a sudden you don't have that uncleanness and everybody would know right away. There'd be no way to hide it. The light that was produced in the law is far more light than we typically produce in our culture, even in the church culture, because everybody would immediately know if you were pregnant because... Yeah, has been a month and you haven't gone into your customary impurity well that's a sign you're pregnant and so just think of how the law is causing things that we try to hide just like the woman that had the flow of blood for 12 years she was trying to hide it but wouldn't have if she was treating it like it says in Leviticus 15 at least all her family would have known that she's had it for 12 years Because if they ever touched anything she uh, touched the bread she laid on, they'd have to go wash their clothes and wash their body and be unclean until evening. So, similarly, when a woman has the sign of sexual promiscuity, it would be immediately known if she was being obedient. There'd be no hiding it. They would know that it's continuing. They would know either it came at the wrong time or they would know that it stayed and it continued for longer than it should have continued so as the uncleanness of her impurity again different but not categorically different they all defile whoever touches those things shall be unclean touching something that she sat on defiled and not just in a passive way he's when he's just unclean until evening this isn't that this is an active way this is where he has to wash his clothes it is repeatedly stressed in this passage that when you're affected by the impurity when you're affected by the uncleanness you have to wash your clothes right this picture of changing your deeds we have to recognize that even when we just are touched by something that's earthly it's that's the sensual thing that isn't inherently sin that it really affects what we do this is how zealous we need to be about fighting against sin is that it affects us they needed to wash their clothes coming into contact with sin or even things that have been defiled by our sin nature it means that we have to make sure that what we're doing is righteous we have to go back and we have to to see how, how much sin works like leaven and how easily it impacts us. That's why the Lord's Supper is so important to do it on a regular basis because on a regular <coughs> basis we're supposed to be going and saying and it shouldn't just be weekly by the way but you should be saying more frequently than that where is the sin in my life? What sin do I need to turn from? Because that's, that's one of the pictures here is that just people walking in the flesh they, they affect us. They cause our deeds to be not, not righteous in the sight of God. So we need to continually being asked, just like the priests when they washed their hands and washed their feet before they could, could serve in the tabernacle or in the, in the temple. We need to be doing the same thing when we go to serve God. We need to be saying, where has the world contaminated me? And bathe in water. It's not just the things that we do, but we ourselves are infected. Our attitudes about what is sinful is affected. Our thoughts are affected. We always need to remember how easy it is to accept uncleanness. How easy it is to say, well, this is just how the world is. Instead of saying, this is not how the world's supposed to be. And Christ came to renew the heavens and the earth. So that it would be different. And we're supposed to be the first fruits of that. So we're supposed to be about the business of being different. By not walking in the flesh, but walking in the spirit. It's so easy for us to, to be unloving because we see everybody around us being unloving. To be unkind because we see everybody around us being unkind. Right? Think of the fruit of the spirit. To not be at peace because everybody else around us is not at peace. These are the... To not have joy. These are the things that we need to fight against that the world doesn't contaminate us and move us away from walking in the Spirit. Bathe in water and be unclean until evening. It will last to the end of our lives until we're resurrected with glorified bodies. We'll be unclean. But that's no excuse. We're still to cleanse our hands. We're still supposed to cleanse our feet. We're still supposed to renew our minds we're still supposed to walk in righteousness we're still supposed to deal with sin in our life we don't just go he who says he is without sin the truth does not abide in him so therefore i'll ignore my sin that's the opposite of what john said in first john he said if you don't walk in the light you don't have fellowship with god verses 28 through 30 But if she is cleansed of her discharge, then she should count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take for herself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall offer the one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for the discharge of her uncleanness. So, but if she is cleansed of her discharge... So, if her STD is cured so that she stops bleeding, or at least she believes she's cured and stopped bleeding, because she still has to wait. She has to wait seven days. Notice it's then she shall count for herself seven days. When she thinks it's gone, she still has to verify it's gone. But she's the one who's responsible, she's the one who is counting. The law of God is very practical. The person who's going to hide their disease is not going to make the sacrifice. She's not going to lay on things and sit on things, or she's going to lay on things and sit on things and not worry about if other people touch it and are contaminated. This is the reality of somebody who has no faith in God. They're not going to worry about how their uncleanness affects others. And so it doesn't matter about the counting of the seven days because they're going to lie about it anyway. But the person who actually sees it and actually desires to be clean and desires to walk in righteousness, they're going to count the seven days. So you don't need to have somebody else count it for them. They could have hidden the sin anyway. They could have, or this picture of sin, I should say. They could have hidden it anyway. And so it doesn't matter if somebody else counts. That's very different for like the leper who the leper, somebody else counts. But there, somebody sees it. It's not them saying, I have this, as opposed to the woman is saying, I have this. The man is saying, I have this, because he can hide it. Or he can f- confess it. He can make it known. So the woman who is willing to make it known, then it makes sense that when it goes away, she'd also be willing to count seven days. And after that, she shall be clean. It means she can be made clean. She can... She can have the, this picture of sin removed from her. She is symptom-free for seven days. And like the customary impurity, the customary impurity, it's a fixed period of seven days. For the case of the unusual discharge of blood, she's only clean if she's had seven days of not having discharge. But she still needs to testify. it's by the shedding of blood. But she was able to be made clean. So on the eighth day, she shall take for herself. And again, it was her responsibility. She needed to initiate it. She needed to bring the situation to the priest. She needed to say, I've been, I had this flow of blood. I had this non-customary impurity. And yet, now I've been cleansed of it for seven days. She's making it known, just like what Christ required. Just like what Christ required of the woman who touched the hem of his garment. so then they had to make a sacrifice so she had to bring the situation to the priest so that they would make the sacrifice two turtle doves or two young pigeons again it's only two birds this is an inexpensive sacrifice but it's still the real shedding of blood it's still about blood having to be shed because without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin so two total doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest. She had to bring them to the priest. The priest would have to know what they were for. And the sacrifice would have been done public in a holy place since they were done at the door of the tabernacle. Right? And again, think of the picture. It was a holy place when she touched Christ's garment because Christ was there it was done in front i mean it's so much the picture of the tabernacle the spirit of god tabernacling and taking on flesh and being with us and and he required it to be made known he required it to be seen everybody would have known what she was doing and that would be true for this too you bring them to the priest and then they would bring it in the midst of the tabernacle the tabernacle court or the midst of the court of the tabernacle which she hadn't been able to go into because she was unclean it's only by her being clean that she's able to go back in there and take it to the door of the tabernacle meeting the most yeah, the place where sacrifices were made for sin offerings for trespass offerings they would sacrifice these birds and people would know what was going on her sin was made public but it was done before the Lord. It was done in the presence of the Lord because the issue isn't reconciliation with people. It's reconciliation with God. It's not being made clean so that you can go out and not have this effect on your family and on your household. It's so that you can be right with God so that you can go back into the holy place. So then the priest shall offer. The priest does the actual offering. The sacrifice of the animals is a foreshadowing That Christ, the high priest, had to sacrifice himself. He had to lay down his life. But at the same time, the Levitical priests, they were the ones that were sacrificing these birds, just as they were the ones that sacrificed Christ. And so the first was a sin offering. One bird was a picture of justification. The trespass offering is a picture of sanctification. It's a picture of, of the person who believes to come and be cleansed. And here... This is a sin offering. It's not a trespass offering. This isn't about forgiveness for a sin that you violated. This is, about, this is about being made right with God. This is about justification. And so it matches what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Fornicators, adulterers, they aren't saved. And so this, this woman who has the sign, just like the man who had the sign of being an adulterer or a fornicator, he had to have a sin offering because the point is, he needed to be justified. He didn't just need to be sanctified. He didn't just need a trespass offering for this, this sin that he committed that he should have known better, or that he did know better. But it's this picture of your eyes being opened, right? The sin offering is for sin that you didn't realize. It's where you didn't realize you were sinning against a holy and just God because you didn't know who God was. So a sin offering is required for this picture of fornication. And then the other is a burnt offering. The burnt offering is a testimony that God's going to remake the whole world. For God to love the world, that He sent His only begotten Son, He's going to remake the world. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. That's the reason that the sin offering is effectual. It's burn on the burnt offering. It's because God's doing something in the world. Is why Christ came. And so the burn offering is a reminder that the only reason that the sin offering works is because God came, Christ came, to be our sin offering. But He came because He's doing a work in the world, not just in us. It became the burn offering that suffered outside the camp so that the people could be saved. And so this is c- c- ceremonially pictured that the sin offering is acceptable because Christ is the burn offering. And then the priest shall make atonement for her. The priest makes atonement for her not to reconcile her to man. man. Yes, now she can people can sit where she sat, they can touch the bed that she laid on. they can touch her and not be made clean, but that 's not the reason that it 's done before the tabernacle it 's done before the tabernacle because he makes atonement for her before the Lord. The sacrifice is made, the turning from sin is made the it's made to reconcile her to god it has effects in reconciliation to man but the focus is reconciliation to god for the discharge of uncleanness in order for be given for her discharge for this picture of having a std this picture of the results of fornication for her to be cleansed of that she has to offer these birds blood has to be shed for the remission of sin verses 31 through 33 Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. This is the law for one who has a discharge, and for him who emits semen is unclean thereby, and for her who is indisposed because of her customary impurity, and for one who has a discharge, either man or woman, and for him who lies with her who is unclean. So thus you shall separate. This is about dividing a people. Before you could not touch their bed, you could not touch where they sat, you could not touch them. This is all about making a difference. It's making a difference between those who are ceremonially unclean and those who are clean. Those who were unacceptable to God and those who were acceptable to God. So many people, I mean, I... It's, it's worse in Nigeria, but it's true here too, where people go, oh, the church should just be unified. Christ said, I came to divide. There'd be five, and two would go one way, and three would go the other. He came to divide. He always came, and the purpose of Christ was to make a division between the clean and the unclean. Yes, the clean are to be unified, but the clean are never to be unified with the unclean. And people go in churches, oh, we should just have unity. No, you should deal with sin, and dealing with sin will separate the clean from the unclean. And that's what God does. We are not supposed to, what is, you know, you're not supposed to be unequally yoked. What does the believer have to do with the unbeliever? With so many churches, they want to go, oh, yeah, we don't want to separate, we don't want to create divisions here. And God's going, I want to create divisions I came to create divisions. I came. I brought a sword to create divisions. And that's what he's saying this whole passage is about. It's about creating divisions. The church is supposed to create divisions. Divisions between those who are holy and those who are unholy. Those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. That's the purpose of the church. It's to separate a people from the world. Which is why even the, the, clean, the unclean, the person who, who does something that's fleshy, fleshly, that's, that's sensual, that's, that's earthy, they have to be separated from because you only know who God is if it's spiritual. And the whole picture is creating a separation. You know, how many times people go, oh yeah, we don't want to deal with that sin, that will create division. We don't want to talk about that doctrine. That will create division. As if that somehow that division is bad. That division is what God wants. That's what he desires. He desires a division between the clean and the unclean. He desires a division between the holy and the unholy. And he doesn't say that it's, that it's minor, right? This is about death. He says, if you don't do this, I'll kill you. And the church doesn't want to do it. This is not about, oh, just a minor thing. It's just a disagreement. This is about how we become a holy people to God. We accept that that will create divisions. He who, is not, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves child more than me is not worthy of me. That's this passage. We have to be willing to separate so he gives us this picture of do you just join with somebody in their sin and go it doesn't matter or do you say we separate and so god gives all these laws so that you separate from the earthy and not just from sin but from from fleshliness it's about making a difference and yes this is ceremonial now it's it's much more real You're either walking in the spirit or you're walking in the flesh. The people who are walking in the flesh, they do not receive the kingdom of God, it says in Galatians. And so we're supposed to make a division between them. That's the merciful thing to do, is to create a division between them and not lie to them and pretend like they are actually part of the church. You shall separate the children of Israel. The children of Israel they're this picture of the church right they aren't the church they're this picture the the physical israel was a picture of the church of jesus christ it was an example and in that church they were supposed to make a division they were supposed to make this separation symbolically now we're supposed to do it with reality we're supposed to put people out that are in sin because god wants a holy people The children of Israel, a large group of people. But God didn't want a large group of people. He wanted a group of holy people. He wanted a group of righteous people. The same as he says he wants now. It hasn't changed. He's never gone for numbers. What he wants is a holy people. People that have a heart after his own heart. People that desire to keep his commandments. So they were supposed to separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness. They were unclean because of their nature. They needed to be separated from that. They were unclean because of their sin. They needed to be separated from that. This is a picture of salvation. This is a picture of what the church is supposed to be doing. And then again, he says, "Lest they die, <coughs> lest God in His anger <coughs> consumes them and kills them." This isn't God playing around. I see so often in churches where people want, oh, unity, let's, just, let's not raise that. That will just cause division. And God's going, maybe I'll kill you for that. Maybe I'll kill you because you won't separate the clean from the unclean. God is not saying these things are minor. God is saying these things are huge. These things are worthy of being killed. This was just them putting away the picture. How much more serious do you think in the New Covenant God is about dealing with actual sin? If God would kill them for violating the picture, how much more should we fear that God would kill us for violating the reality? If God would judge them for not ceremonially dealing properly with the picture of sin... How much more should we expect God to judge us for not dealing with sin? And understand, the picture here is dealing with the consequences of sin. The STD is not the sin. The STD is the consequences of sin. When the sin is known, when there's results from it, when you know about the sin, that's when you have to deal with it. And when the church won't deal with that sin, they should expect judgment. They should have an expectation that God will judge them because God brought a sword. That's what Christ came to do. He came to divide the unclean from the clean. He came to produce a holy people that would worship him in spirit and in truth. Be killing sinner, it will be killing you. Perhaps not physical death. God gives long life to people who are very terrible sinners. But eternal death. Which is far worse. Because when Christ comes in judgment, he will create the separation. So we're supposed to be doing it now as his body because he will create the separation. That's what Christ is going to come to do. He will create the separation between the unclean and the clean, between the earthy and the, the heavenly between the physical and the spiritual, when Christ comes, that's what He will do. <coughs> but lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle. If they, when they bring uncleanness into the courtyard of the tabernacle. We know it's the courtyard because women couldn't enter into the tabernacle itself. Nobody could except the priests. But if the men went in there or the women went in there in their un, uncleanness, God is saying... My anger might break out and I might kill them. Bring uncleanness into the courtyard of the tabernacle defiles the tabernacle of God so that God kills so that his house will be holy. How much more should we expect him to make the church holy? In the New Covenant, when he tabernacles with us, The standard is specific to sin and not just to this customary, not this ceremonial impurity. But how much higher should we expect the enforcement of that standard to be? When the Spirit of God dwells in us, when the believers are the tabernacle of God, how much more serious do you expect God to judge when we don't make a separation between that uncleanness, that unholiness, we should expect far stricter temporal judgment when we allow the temple to be, defi- to be defiled among them or among us. They had the temple among them and, it, and God said he would kill people for them defiling the temple that was among them, the tabernacle. How much more should we expect it to be worse for us who trample the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot? The church should expect a much stricter temporal judgment today because of God's presence with us than what Israel had the reason to expect when God was tabernacling in a separate tabernacle among them. So then it says, this is the law for one. This is, notice the expression that it's one law. This is the law. It's connecting all of them together, sexual sins with bodily functions that are not inherently sinful the one who has a discharge again it's doing the chiasmus and repeating it the one who has the discharge the man who has a discharge because of an STD is different the response is different but it's still very related to the fleshly functions and for him who emits semen this is all one law dealing with all of it to the normal occurrence when a man lays with his wife they're different one is sin and one is not but they're still related they're still about the flesh they're still about the earth for him who emits semen and is unclean thereby both make unclean because both are of this earth and they won't have a part in the new heavens and the new earth And for her who is indisposed, again following the chiasmus, the normally bodily function of the man is like the normal bodily function of the woman. While being different, they're still from the same thing. still make unclean because of her customary impurity, because of her body was the way that God made it. She periodically becomes unclean. It's not necessary for for sin to be involved, just the function of the body, but it's still earthy. for the one who has a discharge again the chapter ends with the woman who has a discharge typically from a sexually transmitted disease but it's all one law whether it's from the sexually transmitted disease or not it's all one law even though the, the aspects of the law and the dealing with it are different because our sin nature and our sin are so interrelated you can't separate the two who has a discharge, either man or woman. So God gave all these different laws, but in the end he goes, but it's all, it's all the same thing. It's one law. The rules are the same for both, even though the manifestation is different in the two. It's just like there's no m- male or female in Christ, as it says in Galatians 3, but there's still very much male and female, as it says in 1 Corinthians 11. Here it's the same idea. The discharge is is the same result but it's different and there's differences and the handling is different based on the gender but in the end it's still the same problem uncleanness uncleanness because of their nature and uncleanness because of their sin and, he, and for him who lies with her is unclean and remember all these laws they're about to separate The unclean from the clean, so that the people that approach God are clean. And he ends with this idea that you lay with her and you pick up uncleanness. Don't be deceived how easily the world makes us unclean. We need to constantly be killing sin or it will be killing us. We need to be washing our feet and washing our hands. We need to be examining ourselves. We need to be washing our clothes. We live in a a world that's filled with sin. We need to see how much it impacts us. Let me give you some applications. The first application is, remember the seriousness of sin. Every sin that we do, every single one required the sacrifice of Christ. Everyone required his torment. Everyone required his, his being mocked. Everyone required him being scourged. Everyone required his being nailed to the cross. That's the only way that we can be reconciled to the Father. That's how serious sin is, and that's how we need to see the seriousness of sin. It's so easy for us to be dismissive of our sin and look at the world around us and say, but I'm better than them. That's the same thing here as you're made unclean. You're made unclean just by touching a bed that a woman slept on that was in her monthly cycle. Because that's how easily we can be made unclean. And we need to recognize that. We need to recognize how easily sin spreads, which means we need to be zealous about killing sin that's in our members. It's so easy for us to say, praise God, my sins are forgiven. And ignore the sinfulness of sin. But if we remember that every lie, every glance at a woman to lust for her, every time our anger gets aroused for our own sake, every time we fear something other than God, each one of those acts individually required the sacrifice of Christ in order for us to be reconciled to the Father. Because any of them would have been sufficient for his wrath to be upon us. When we read a passage like this, it should cause us to take sin more seriously. And not just say, oh, it's natural, because natural things still require us to be made clean. Another application is there are differences in severities of breaking the laws. You know, people use the statement from James, James 2, 8 through 10, if you really fulfill the... If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin or are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. To say that there's no difference, they use that to say there's no difference between transgressions because, hey, you tell a little lie and that's the same as going and murder somebody. You're guilty of the whole law. That's not the point. Because there's very different punishments for murdering somebody than there is for lying. The point here is any of them, just being earthy separates you from God and requires the sacrifice of Christ. Having a sin nature will produce some sin and that is enough to separate you. But here in this law, sexually transmitted disease needed very different results than the person who just was living in the flesh and walking in the flesh. It's a real difference. And we shouldn't make sin and pretend like all sin is the same. The man who looks at a woman to lust for her is committing a type of adultery. And that's worthy of damnation. But it doesn't mean that you put him to death. But if he goes and lays with another woman, then you're supposed to put him to death. It's a death penalty offense. So God does say laws are different. But all of them, all of them, every sin requires us to be changed us to be transformed any part of the law makes us guilty of the whole law christ had to die for us so that we don't receive the punishment of the law but that doesn't mean that that all laws are the same god has certainly delegated different enforcement and he's picturing that here both of them require you to be made clean but the way you're made clean is different between the two another application maybe this should have been last week but I'll make it this week there is a cycle in the church and there has always been a cycle in the church just like a woman with a menstrual cycle the woman is a picture of the church and God decreed that the woman's body would display a normal cycle the cycle is that the church is healthy and because of the health of the church because of its righteousness, peace and joy people are attracted to it not because they're coming to god but that they want what the church has that the church has many that are unfruitful and then through persecution what might which might even reach the shedding of blood the fruitfulness leaves the church and then the church gets healthy and the cycle continues even as we go through revival and revivalism this is the picture that you see and we should just recognize that is that's normal in the church that's what's happened in the church for 2,000 years but there are also periods of, that are different than that. And I would argue that we're now in a period that's very different from that where we've been, we've been having shedding of blood for a long time where we have an unusual uncleanness. We've gone beyond the normal cycle that happened before. As we consider the book Revival and Revivalism, that's the argument that he's making is that there was this customary cycle it's always gone on in the church but then there's also a period where the church by embracing revivalism and rebasing this fake christianity that it's had impurity that's a different level of impurity for a long time so we should recognize that god gives these laws not just so that we understand people but that we understand the church because the the church does have this picture of a woman. And God gives us these laws so that we can understand this is what happens to the church. Another application. The law has contained in it an exposure of sin. The woman, Jesus Christ, says, who had the power that goes out from me, not for his sake, he knew. So that she would have to confess the sin and everybody would see her confess the sin. Churches generally have the opposite attitude. When the leadership finds out about sin, they just work to cover it up unless it's really bad. They only announce it when it's gotten really severe, when they have to because they're going to excommunicate. But that's not the way sin is supposed to be dealt with. That's not what the Bible says. It says in Ephesians 5.11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. The church is supposed to expose the unfruitful works of darkness so that in the church when you expose it, one of two things will happen. The person will repent and they'll become clean and the church will remain clean. Or they'll get angry and they'll leave and the church will become clean. The point is, if we don't want wrath, the wrath of God to break out among us, we're to be clean. That's the point. And exposure is what makes you clean. Now, you hope the person repents. That's wonderful if the person repents. But what you want to do is expose sin because that forces the issue of division. Either they'll be divided from their sin or they'll be divided from the church. That's why you expose sin. Because God came to produce a holy people. another application we need to not deceive ourselves first corinthians fifteen thirty-three: do not be deceived evil company corrupts good corrupts good habits natural things and not just the sin of the people around us but natural things coming in contact with the people of the world all of it makes us unclean which doesn't mean that we can just avoid it you can't avoid it we're in the world as paul writes in first corinthians 5 so that's not the solution to escape from the world People have tried that before. There's been movements in the church where people have done that. And that's just actually ignoring their responsibility to the world. What, the, what that means is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived into how much you're affected by the people around you. Coming into contact with the people of the world, all of it makes us unclean. So it means that we need to make sure that we're not adopting their ways. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good, good habits. That them, them walking as earthly beings that, that will affect us that will tempt us to sin and so we have to be working against that we have to make sure that we're not corrupted by the world that's the picture here of how easy it was for them to be made unclean another, another application we have a duty to confess our sins they don't need to be announced. They don't need to be that you blow a trumpet and say, look, I'm sinning. But they need to not be hidden. The woman who went to offer the two birds for cleansing for cleansing from an STD is publicly confessing her sin. Not in an ostentatious way, but in a way that darkness was, or that light was brought into the darkness. We need to not be hiding our sin, not bragging about it, or trying to get attention through it either, because people use sin to get attention all the time we all know this you all i mean all the adults in this room have children they all know it that sometimes children intentionally do things that are wrong just to get attention and that's not what you do but as christians we need to be willing to walk in the light we need to be willing to not be two-faced we need to be willing to let people understand our sin There is a place for public confession, and specifically in the context of prayer. James 5.16 Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Confessing your sin to one another, praying for one another. This is praying that people are protected from their sin, that they're cleansed from their sin. Because again, Christ came to produce a holy people. We should be praying for full cleansing, full repentance of our sin. Another application, the sacrificial system was about reconciling man to God. Much church discipline now has a big element of reconciling the person back to men, without questioning whether they are reconciled to God because the desire is for them to be restored to fellowship, not to give a reason for the re- to believe that they're right with God. The person that she sinned with and against, you know, he wasn't even present. This was about her and God when she went to offer the two birds. It's about the man and God when the man with the STD went to offer the two birds. This isn't about the other person. This isn't about being reconciled this is to the people. That's a secondary effect. The primary effect, the primary reason is to reconcile with God. And that's what church discipline should be looking towards when you do church discipline. you know, If it's, if it's man, it's really easy to go back and look at people we disciplined years ago that we excommunicated and go, Oh, that was a long time ago. It's not that big of a deal. God doesn't forget. And the point of it was to say, you have no reason to believe that the person's saved. If you just say, well, we're just going to forget about this, all you're doing is saying, you don't care if the person goes to hell. You have no concern about their soul at all. So the church does excommunication, and it enforces excommunication, it continues excommunication because the desire is for the person to be reconciled to god not reconciled to man church discipline is about people understanding and excommunication in particular is about people understanding where they stand with god and the reconciliation with man has to be a result of them their reconciliation with god another application god is still commanding us to make a separation between those who are clean and those who are unclean noticeably perhaps most notably because god said he would kill people because they failed to do so just like the woman who has, or man who has a discharge the responsibility <coughs> lies with them first corinthians 11 28 and 29 but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the lord's body Not discerning the Lord's body. It means they weren't making any distinction between clean and unclean. They thought that they could go into the courtyard of the tabernacle. They could go into the church. They could partake of the Lord's Supper. And they didn't have to make a separation between the clean and the unclean. So God says, I'll kill you for it. God came to produce a holy people. And he will kill people to get what he wants. He killed his only begotten son. Don't think he won't kill others. So we should be diligent. We should be diligent when we come to the Lord's Supper to cry out to God show me my sin, show me what I need to turn from. Make sure you are part of the household of God because God will get what he wants. He is God. Another application we need to be separated from the works of our flesh, and we can't do that ourselves. Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is, it, is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't please God. the earthly things the 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 normal human functions they still separate you from god you still need to be redeemed you still need to be made spiritual to be carnally minded is death not even sin it's death to be carnally minded itself to just be thinking about the things of this world it can't be pleasing to god to be the true children of israel we have to be separated from the flesh And that doesn't mean that it's wrong. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to be married. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to have marital relationships. But it does mean we're supposed to be focusing on the spiritual and not just the physical. We're not to just be carnal men. The law has a picture of separation that was required at the tabernacle. Through the Holy Spirit we can have true separation so that we can set our minds on things above and not just things of this flesh, not just things of this world. Those who are in the flesh, those who do not have the Spirit of God, that's all they can do. They can only be clean according to the flesh. But in the end, that's not enough. You actually have to have the Spirit. But those who are in the Spirit, they can walk in the Spirit. And they can have a focus that's not just of this earth. Having a focus on just this earth is enough to separate you from God another application god is concerned with the holiness of where he dwells it's true for the physical tabernacle where the physical presence of god was behind the veil so how much more is it true of us where the holy spirit is dwelling in the church how much more does the church need to be different from the world than israel was from the nations around it how much different does the church need to be from the world than the tabernacle in the courtyard of the tabernacle was separate from the people around it, the Israelites. We have to have a greater zealous, zealotry to be separated, a greater desire to separate the holy from the unholy. God killed because of the defiling of his tabernacle. How much more zealous should we be about removing uncleanness in the church? And the, the last application... Which just when you think about it, it's, it's we're thinking about how many things God has said that you have to put together. For instance, they should have known that there'd be no marriage in heaven. Right, when the Pharisees, in, in, or excuse me, the Sadducees in Matthew 22, 23 through 30 said, the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up Offspring for her brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he was married, and had no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures. Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. All sexual relations end in uncleanness. There is no uncleanness in heaven. Everybody should know from Leviticus 15, there's no marriage in heaven. Paul's very clear in 1 Corinthians 6, where the two become one, that is sexual relations. That an unconsummated marriage isn't really a marriage, because it is in the flesh the two become one. And that two becoming one makes you unclean, so therefore there can't be that in heaven. Now there is a marriage in heaven between Christ and his bride, but there is not marriage between two between a man and a woman in heaven. There can't be. Because there's no uncleanness in heaven. And Leviticus fifteen says, This always produces uncleanness. So it's easy for us to to just think superficially about the things of Scripture. But God actually hid a lot there, and I'm sure a lot that I missed this morning. He hides a lot in these passages, and we're supposed to read them and understand. Don't you know that the Scripture said there'd be no marriage in heaven? Did you see that in Leviticus 15? Let's close in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the things that it teaches us. We thank you that you expect us to meditate on your word and to understand your word to understand how it applies to us, to understand how we should be thinking about it. Lord, you are a good and, ma- and patient and merciful God. For we don't separate ourselves from uncleanness the way that we should. We don't are from sin. We don't separate in the church from sin the way that we should. We don't separate from the sin in the world. Lord, you want us to be a separate and holy people. Help us do this. In your name we pray. Amen.